Welcome to Founders First, a show about mental health and entrepreneurship and how to build resilience to stay stronger, happier, and be more successful. You can engage more in the conversation by going to the App Store on your phone and searching Founders First Community. Our guest today is a venture capitalist, founder, and former CEO with some of the most incredible self-discipline I've ever encountered. He's also a leadership coach with over 10 years of experience coaching business leaders to optimize the performance of their companies and their own happiness. He does this, he says, by focusing on accountability. Our guest today is David Paul. We talk a lot at Founders First about the predispositions many entrepreneurs have, and many of these are in the area of mental health. In your work, David, you talk more broadly about how we all let our minds get in the way of our potential. And there's a quote from you that I'd like to point out here. Once you're aware of the things within your own mind that keep you from attaining your potential, you can be accountable to change them. Can you tell us more about a time in your own life when your mind was in your way? What did you learn about yourself in that moment? What similar findings have you had in your work with your clients? Yeah, no, absolutely, Aaron. You know, I think kind of the most pivotal moment in, in my life was, <clears throat> it was, it was kind of about maybe two years ago where um, I realized that I was seeking so much external stimuli, right, to be successful in my own life. Um, <clears throat> and I was, and just to give you some context, I was working at a venture capital firm. It really wasn't going anywhere. You know, it was kind of about to break up. And, you know, I didn't know, like, I flew out to Arizona to work in venture capital and private equity. And I didn't know if I had to fly back to a different state and I'd feel like a failure. And, and meanwhile, I had this beautiful wife and this new daughter. And the only thing I could think about is what are people going to think of me? You know, like, what are, what are, what is the, what is, like, how, how am I going to view myself? Right? Like, what value do I have if I'm not a venture capitalist? And, um, I, I, I was really at this point and I had to do some, some work around it. And, um, what I found out was that, you know, ultimately, you know, this, the, the satisfaction that I was seeking is, was all external and it wasn't internal. It wasn't really what gave me kind of any emotional juice. Right. And so I needed to, to find emotional juice from the internal if I knew that I was going to be happy. And so now, because that's a hard habit to break, right? it's not something easy to do. And, I get caught up in all the time. I have to remember that, you know, what am I seeking? Am I seeking for external gratification or am I seeking internal gratification? And is this ego driven or is this purpose driven? And, um, and I often have to kind of find, find those balances. Tell, tell us about clients. What do you run into most often where their mind is, is getting in the way? Uh, so with, with clients, you know, I, I, I think it has to become uh where their mind gets in the way i think what has to come with with when with within that context is that they feel like they're not they should be at the next phase of where they're mm -hmm. where they're not currently at mm -hmm. and I, I run into that a lot and that's that's a tricky area aaron because oftentimes you know the, the the you know the rule of thumb is to say oh you just need to be happy where you're at be in your own two feet but there's another side to that. And maybe you're being complacent, right? And maybe you're not doing all the things you can do because, you know, you're, you know, you're like uh, sedating, right? And you're not taking care of yourself. And you're kind of going into this level of 
you know, so maybe that's your inner self, like really saying like, you're not reaching your full potential. So kind of give me an anecdotal advice about like, you know, why you're not comfortable in your own skin, I think can be dangerous, you know, and really figure it out and going deeper and deeper into, um, you know, your own, you know, like what, 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 like, why do you not think you're supposed to be there and why are you here? And, and kind of digging deeper into those layers is extremely important. Yeah. When, when you talked about in your own experience that, that moment where you're, you know, am I going to be labeled a failure? It's such an interesting question, right? I mean, every entrepreneur I'm sure listening here, I felt that a million times too, right? And it, it comes up at the worst times, probably like the moments where I need performance the most, right? Going into something big, about to launch a big marketing program, about to launch a new product, pivoting, going to defend your new strategy to the board, whatever it is. I, I think it all, it crosses our minds. Like what if, what if, what if in the end, everything I'm doing now is labeled a failure and who, who's labeling that, right? I mean, you talked yeah, about... Yeah, who's the, the guy? <laughs> <laughs> no, is it your father? Is it your rich brother? You know, like, what? It, like, who's the person? I know who it is. And I think it's that's, like, that's what it is to be. And I remember, actually, when I was going through your content on your course, Aaron, like, it's something I still think to today. There was, at some point, in some juncture, you were saying, you know, why isn't it okay for us to know for ourselves that we're brilliant? And we have a beautiful mind. Why do we have to constantly let other people know? Mm-hmm. You know, just because people aren't giving you accolades doesn't mean you don't have it. You know, mm-hmm. and that was huge for me because you know I often have to think like, why am I continually trying to impress people or continually trying to make this justification against external stimuli? Why can't I just be okay with knowing that you know, hey, I've got some pretty cool things and I've got you know some pretty cool ideas, but I don't need to tell anybody about them right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, I read this book maybe two years ago. Um, I always get authors and titles wrong <laughs> on live events. So I'm going to probably mess this up, but I think it was Michael Neal. I think it's Neal with two L's. It's called the inside out revolution. And it's, it's really about that at a, at a simple level. Um, but it's so hard to grasp, right? This concept that, um, you know, what we can control is in our minds. It kind of goes back to some of the Buddhist philosophies, right? That like, you know, what we can control is how we respond to things. That's about it, right? Everything else is out of our control. And the inside out revolution is around that, that same sort of concept that, um, you know, knowing what we can control, knowing what we can't control. And we'll talk about ego a little more later, because I think ego is probably why we confuse those two things all the time. We, I would love to think that I'm in control of all sorts of things that I'm not in control of. Um, but the separation of the two there, I think is really interesting, right? Who is going to label me? Um, and you know, who does it actually matter to? Does it matter if I believe, does everyone else need to believe as well? So we're going to dig in more on that. Um, many of us as entrepreneurs are, are way better at vision than execution. So I want to talk about this for a second. It's one of the ways our minds get in the way you've seen in our peak ability training, as you mentioned. So, you know, we talk a lot about um, managing ourselves around these predispositions. We know that discipline is effective, but it's so hard for so many of us, including me. I hate discipline. I love discipline. Um, We instead get into periods of manic productivity and then just crash into recovery periods. For me, I'm happier when I'm more disciplined, but it's also the last thing I want someone to tell me that I need. Honestly, I get offended easily if someone tells me that. And it's just one more thing that I have to do. So I'm willing to apply discipline to my company, but not to myself. So I guess I have two questions about this. Why is it so hard for us to apply to ourselves the same discipline we apply to our companies? And then as, as someone who has seen our peak ability training in action, like what are your thoughts on the importance of using tools and habits to refine our ability to execute? Yeah. So I think it's, it's 
really easy to let your own house kind of go out of shape, you know, when we're talking about, you know, like, you know, making your company look great, but not taking care of yourself. And I think that there's a level of permissions that people give themselves, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, oh, well, I worked this hard, so I'm going to, you know, eat like shit or whatever, like, you know, like whatever, whatever your vice is, or I'm going to, I'm going to drink a lot or, you know, on the weekends or, you know, I'm not going to work out, whatever it is. And it, like mm-hmm. they use their business as an excuse, right? Well, look what I did. Look what I created, right? And then again, <clears throat> you kind of go into this vicious cycle. And uh, I don't think you understand the, like, it's, it's like, it's kind of like the matrix, right? Like, I feel like you're like, you're, you're living your life with blinders on until you live your life the other way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's hard to sell somebody on something they've never experienced before. Right. And so for me, it's just like, just like, you know, when I tell my clients, like, just, give, just give me, just give me a week, right. Of just doing what I tell you to do and see what kind of difference it makes. <laughs> and, um, and if I can get that kind of commitment, right. And then it, it, sh- it shows that their productivity does increase, right. Because they're talking to me for a reason. Like we mm-hmm. didn't bump into each other and I, you know, it wasn't like a cold cell. Usually I get people that are pretty warm by the mm-hmm. time they get um, so, you know, for me, when I think about discipline and I think about tools, like, you know, I, I feel like I, I, I implement, you know, I'm breathing, I implement a journaling practice and meditation practice, you know, exercise, um, uh, you know, specific times for my wife and my daughter and stuff, because honestly, dude, I have to, you know, I like, I mean, I'm going to be quite, quite like frank and honest here is that like, probably out of anything that I do, like any classification that I have. My one that I fall the shortest on is being a husband, right? And then that doesn't mean I go around and I like cheat and like go to a bar all night. That's not the case. I just, I would rather look at my phone, right? Than connect with my wife, you know? And, um, and I give myself permission. Well, I'm a great dad. I'm a great, you know, I'm a great, you know, uh, coach and business guy and, you know, and, you know, I work out all the time, but you know, and I'm going to, I mean, this is, this is me today. This isn't me like, you know, a couple years ago, like I, this is where I fall short today. And the reason why is, is because I give myself permissions because I've got a decent marriage, like, you know, but I don't proactively try to make it better. And that's something that I need to work on because, you know, without that foundation, you know, I mean, what's the percentage? 55% of people end up in divorce. And, you know, I don't want to be a guy that's divorced, right? I don't want to, I want to have a very stable, healthy marriage. And to do that, I have to discipline myself to make myself do date night. Right. (laughs) And that means I have to like, instead of like, oh, like trying to figure out like, oh, I'm going to have to like, you know, just go to a movie and just begrudgingly take her to dinner and look at my watch. So the time we get to go home, I get to look at my phone again. You know, I'm going to have to maybe schedule an hour to think of 15 date ideas that I can do. So when date night comes around, I'm not just trying to pull something out of my ass. Like I actually have something that's thought thought about and that I've actually done. So that's how I apply discipline in my personal life and try not to give myself permissions. Yeah, I love it. And one of the first things you said is like bite size, discipline at first, and then just test, test and observe, right? Kind of going back to a scientific method. We've talked about that in, in some of our previous Founders Forum sessions, this concept of as entrepreneurs, maybe we should be a little bit more like scientists. And I heard a bit of it there. I like bite off a little bit of discipline, try it for a week, try it for a day. I don't know, however long it takes and, and just measure and see what the results are. And the second thing I heard was this concept of like kind of, you know, if it's the tendency to, if it ain't broke, don't fix it sort of. Um, and I think so many entrepreneurs, like 
everything's on fire in our businesses, right? Typically, that's a pretty common entrepreneurial experience. Throw in a global pandemic and an election in the US and all sorts of things right now. I would say many people listening right now and, and maybe even David and I, like everything's kind of on fire a little bit right now. So it, it's hard to, to want to focus on things that might be long-term optimizations, right? Like you said, you know, yeah, I might um, eat like crap or I might just decide that I don't have time to exercise and keep my body healthy. Um, what, what do you think? Like what... How, how far are people down that pattern when they, when they come to somebody like you to help them get back on track? Is this like, do they know what those issues are? Like, I have not been exercising for the last two years, or I haven't been healthy in this way, or I'm a workaholic and I know what it is, I need a solution. Um, or are you often helping them figure out what those like things that maybe aren't on fire today, but need to be fixed for them to be healthy in the future? Or- yeah, so if I'm working with a business, right? Um, it, it generally is, I need help with my business. And then we kind of say, okay, well, what does that mean? But then it really kind of undergoes, like, you know, I'll tell them, I'm like, you know, at some point I'm going to tell you you're the problem, right? <laughs> you know, like, and I'll tell the CEO that. And, you know, like kind of up front. And if you're willing to like receive some coaching on that, then I'll be happy to do that. But if not, then like, I, I can't just work with your management team. Like you're part mm-hmm. of the team. And so I kind of sift out clients that way as well and so they're and if they're up for that and they, they kind of know that they're a hair on fire ceo guy which 99 percent of entrepreneurs are right that's mm-hmm. not uncommon then we go through we go through that cycle um and then you know with personal personal people yeah they know i mean like they know man they, they know i mean but the thing is aaron it's knowing doesn't get you anywhere <laughs> i mean i mean like it really doesn't knowing doesn't mean anything i mean every that person on the planet or overweight person on the planet knows that they should diet and exercise. But how often does that actually come out into a, an actionable plan? And it, it just mm-hmm. doesn't. And the thing is, is because it's not good enough, right? Knowledge isn't good enough. There needs to be a path. There needs to, and there needs to be a connection, mm-hmm. right? And, and there needs to be reinforcement, <laughs> right? So to include that, that is what I think instills change. So not so much as knowledge. Yeah. And I think about all the gremlins that kind of live in our minds and over time start to, to build up, right? The, the anxiety, the tendencies for anxiety, the tendencies for chasing intensity. We've talked a lot about that in, in our founders first sessions in our um, peakability sessions recently, this like kind of addiction to excitement. You know, you mentioned that the, the thing that challenges some of your relationships is your phone. We all have that. We have the phone because it connects us to the business world. And that's where we get these, these accolades and people telling us we've done a great job or we just see the, the deal close and the dollars come in. Right. And that's like, that's the excitement that drives us. And so, and you know, we've talked about some of the physical things, but we're also really talking about a lot of the mental things, the mental habits too, right. That people build up over time. I want to talk about one of those kind of dig in on one of those mental habits now. So as, as entrepreneurs, we all struggle with what I'll call like ownership versus leadership. We have small teams, tight budgets. We think we have to be the master of all things in our business. And, of course, we can't. It's one of the things that contributes to founder burnout, just trying to do it all. Some of this, let's be honest, is a matter of our own egos. We kind of foreshadowed this coming because this, this is an important kind of theme across everything we're talking about here today. I want to know what you've learned in your experience about how we hold on to things or the things we want to control or um, in, in ways that are disservices to us personally um, and our teams and our companies. Is is our struggle with leading our company versus kind of owning everything? Is that just our egos? Is that an ego battle? Could be. It could be. You know, how I usually dissect that is I, I, I tell a CEO, 
I'll say, just bear with me. I'm going to ask you five questions and just answer them as honestly. And I'll, and I'll say, why is, why are you working on marketing? And they'll tell me, well, because our marketing's down. Why is it down? Well, because I don't, you know, this person didn't do what they're supposed to. Why didn't that person do it? Well, because I didn't pay them enough money. You know, and you kind of get down and you drill down to it. At the end of the day, it's, uh, I don't trust the person that's doing it, which is one, right? Mm-hmm. Or two, I'm just hiding from, you know, other things that I might be afraid of to expand the business, mm-hmm. right? And I think that both of those are kind of ego-driven. I think that, you know, I, I think that ego isn't just, you know, going like this and like, and having bravado. I think ego is also, um, is, is wrapped around in fear, you know, and, and self and self, uh, deprecation and mm-hmm. self pity, you know, and I think that that is ego because it's all, it's all wrapped in self, right? It's me, me, me. And if you're hiding from, let's say, ah, you know, I really don't want to be out raising money because I don't want to be told no, or I don't want them to punch holes in my plan, or I don't want to bring on equity investors, or I don't want to, you know, go out and sell because of this, that, and the other. I'm going to go hide in the office and do debits and credits, right? Like whatever, whatever the situation is, it could be that, or it could be ultimately be, um, you know, I don't have somebody who's good enough, right? Which is another thing. And I think that maybe a third option is, is, you know, you, you, you want to be the smartest guy in the room. So you don't hire people that, you know, are subject area domains. And I think there could be some, some issues around that as well. And some ego around that. And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of working through that concept right now, Aaron, as we talked, we talked about the other day is like, how much should a CEO know about each subject domain for them to be in, to make sure that they're competent and they know enough, but are able to not micromanage a department. Right. And be able to have a department run with having, but having enough oversight to know exactly if somebody is being successful or not. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm, I'm trying to find that balance. I don't think there's a right answer, but um, it's definitely, I think it all kind of ties back to, you know, what, what's really the intent and what's really the emotion. Yeah. It reminds me of the, you know, I've heard it a million times in, in business circles, the trust, but verify concept, right? Yeah, right. Exactly. And I think there's, you know, such a natural challenge in the, in the progression of how many of us as founders become kind of move into the roles that, that we're in, right? Like when I started my company, like, sure, I was a founder and CEO, but I was also the only person there, right? Like, so, so I was really like, you know, my job title actually should have probably been all the other things that I did, which is, you know, I was, I was writing software, I was building a product, I was trying to figure out how to market it. And then I brought in a co-founder who was an expert in marketing. And so he took over the marketing part of it. And he and I as co-founders now kind of owned, of course, everything in the business again. And um, he eventually became the CEO and I became the chairman of the board of directors, which were, again, also not things that we had any experience doing. We were really young when we started this company. This was in our 20s. And over time, as the business grows, it grows to hundreds of employees. And now we have you know, a senior vice president of marketing and we have a CTO over our technology group and 65 software developers. And in the beginning, it feels really good, right? Like, I don't have to write code anymore. Oh, my God, I've got these huge things off my plate. And Ryan goes, I don't have to run marketing strategy and, you know, make it all work in the end. Um, and then after a period of time passes, I think we both we both had the thought, like, oh, crap, if I'm not like the talented software developer at this company, like, who am I? Sure, I have a, another title, but I'm not good at that job. <laughs> I just happen to, I happen to end up in that job. <laughs> Right, because you hire experts in their domain, and then like you're supposed to supervise them, but like you know, almost there might be some kind of intimidation, right? That you know, how yeah. am I going to supervise a guy that's smarter in programming and marketing? They've run teams before, so yeah, it's yeah. 
it's a tricky balance. I think the, the average the average age of my SVP tier, you know, underneath my CEO, underneath me when I was 26 years old was probably 45 years old, right? So even just that alone, I'm looking at people that are 20 years older than me in those roles that we, of course, to your point, intentionally recruited because they're so talented and and it can be really intimidating, right? They, they how, have, how, did that, how did that work out for you, Aaron? Did you, did you find like a specific moment where you were like, you know, I'm not letting this 45 year old tell me what to do. You know what I mean? And, you know, I'm his boss. And, or was it the opposite? We were like, I guess I'll listen to him. You know, he's older than me. Yeah. I, you know, I, the way it played out for me was that I, I think I trusted a lot in the beginning. So I think I was both so excited to have some of those workloads off my plate and also just proud that like my little company could now hire a talented executive. So there's my own ego getting kind of stroked with that. Um, and then as, as things grew, um, you know, it became like, I trusted and I trusted. And what I remember most poignantly is like the first time one of those really talented experts made a really big mistake. Um, and I remember thinking like, whoa, okay. Um, I actually have to still pay attention here, right? Because <laughs> again, these people are 20 years older than me, massive careers, right? And it's not just 20 years, like, you know, at 26 years old, I'm like five years into my career, right? And they're, they're six times that, seven times that. So, um, I remember that the most, that moment of, of realizing that, um, I guess you could say that I, it wasn't that I couldn't trust everybody all the time. Cause I think that would be too naive. I don't think I believe that it was more of that. I, I needed to pay more attention. Right. Is that a hard um, conversation to have? Like saying like, Hey, like you messed up and I'm 26 and though you've had probably 20 years more work experience, not how you should do it. Well, I, I, ours was even harder because there were two of our executives that actually disagreed with each other. And that's where the problem came from. <laughs> and there were some big mistakes being made. And I, as you know, felt like a child in the room, had to arbitrate between <laughs> some very experienced adults trying to figure out who was right and who was wrong. So brutally challenging. I, I just remember feeling completely outclassed in the conversation. And um, I actually remember everyone being very respectful. I don't feel like anyone was ever disrespectful to me as the, as the young leader trying to do my best in this company. But I what I think of the most is probably me just kind of not bringing my A game to those conversations because I was, I was kind of intimidated. I'll admit it. I was kind of intimidated by those people and sure. their experience and what they represented. Yeah. Do you think that you would have been served better to uh, over kind of egoed the conversation, but said what you wanted to say, but made have been puffing your chest up too much or been a little bit more subdued like you were and maybe held back your punches what do you think would have been more effective, you know, being a, being a, a Tuesday morning quarterback? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what I did in the long run was I actually sat down with my EO forum, my entrepreneurs organization forum and asked them this question. I, me I remember the forum meeting and many of them were much more experienced than, you know, in kind of forties or fifties plus in terms of age and had run companies for a long time. And um, they, they kind of boiled it down for me to what do you really need to know in order to understand the performance of this person in the business? Like what, what are, you know, the same way that we do this with our businesses at a high level, right? Like what are the eight to 10 things on a scorecard? What metrics should I, should I have to understand my entire company? Um, I tried to break down each of those relationships in addition, obviously the human relationship component, but just from a business operation standpoint, like what were the, what were the things that I needed to know to know whether that was on track or not? It was more of an issue of me being blindsided, I think. Um, and then having to try and rebuild trust because, you know, either felt like I was let down by somebody that we trusted or, um, or that just maybe they weren't qualified enough to do it, or maybe we had a unique situation that, that they weren't going to be able to solve. So, um, 
what I remember most I'm clearly was. Down. I'm writing that down because I was. Right on. <laughs> <laughs> what do I really need to know? You know. Yeah. Like, what are the couple numbers? And I tried to make the list as short as possible. So, um, I remember, in, you know, I don't remember the exact examples for each kind of SVP in the company, but um, the people that owned each of their categories, I had, I had numbers that I felt like I needed to know, and and I and I got them in advance, and I tried to. You know, it was, it was back to the trust but verify thing, right? Like I wanted to know, I trusted that they were on the right track. I didn't need to know everything they were doing, but I did want to know like three to four pieces of information. Some of them were metrics. Some of them were just, you know, send me the strategy for the next quarter so I can be aware of what it is at a high level. Um, so that if things went right or wrong, I could actually be in a better place to help as opposed to kind of reel from the punch of realizing that I didn't know what was going on. And and, uh, and now we got to start from scratch. Yeah. Cool. So let's talk about morning routines. I want to get back to um, the importance of starting off our days with intentionality is probably the right way to say it. Um, so we're mentally and physically prepared to win every day. So that meeting I walked into that day with my two executives arguing with each other, I was like, oh my God, did I walk in the wrong room? <laughs> I'm not qualified to be here. Uh, to win challenges that come up like that when we don't know they're coming. So it's an important area of focus for us has been a big topic of discussion in our weekly scorecard check-in groups in, in the peak ability group. Um, so we know that the majority of really high performing entrepreneurs are dedicated to their morning routines. We hear about this all the time. I know this is a big focus area in your work. Can you tell us what you incorporate in your morning routine and tools, habits, maybe that you've seen most effective for you or even your clients as well? So morning routine, just in context, don't have one get it's 10x right my my life and if i was to put all the coaching that my first coach gave me which he gave me the morning routine and the only thing he taught me was the morning routine and i didn't get all the extra value i still would have said that was a, a worthwhile investment because uh that habit is something that's a non-negotiable for me today and um I, I just i can't speak highly enough about what what it does for me so my morning routine looks like this I wake up at 3.45 a.m., right? And that's not because, like, I'm a big hard ass or anything. I'm not trying to, like, say that, like, you know, that's, like, you have to wake up early, like, Jocko, you know, kind of deal. Like, I'm just saying that because I've got a wife and kids and, like, I need to be up before them mm -hmm. and um, or else they ruin everything. So, like, this is time for self-care. So I get up. I, I go to a special area of the house. I make, uh, I get, you know, uh, two glasses of water. I make a cup of black coffee. And I start off with, uh, with a meditation practice and I started off doing kind of the calm headspace, you know, kind of stuff. And then when I got better at it, I just use mala beads and, um, I just you know, started counting my breaths and use that as a practice and just try to dip into consciousness as I, as I can on that little Zofu pillow. And I kind of work on some breathing exercises from there. From there, it goes into, uh, journaling where I'll, I'll write down an excerpt, an excerpt of what's on my mind. Um, I have kind of like my everyday journal. I've got a family journal, right? Which is like, you know, this is something for our family. I call it the Benjamin Franklin journal. He's got a leather bound case and everything. And then I've got a, a journal for my daughter. And um, it's basically just kind of little memories of daddy daughter journal. So I'll give it to her one day. I have two more girls that are coming right now, twins. I don't know if I'm going to give them journals <laughs> because it's a lot of work. So. But, you know, and plus they're twins, they do everything together. So I, I don't know if they need their own separate journal. <laughs> but uh, so after that, after I do the journal, I'll then write a post-it note to my wife and to my daughter, right? And the purpose of that is it kind of brings um, a connection to them first thing in the morning. And it makes me think of them. And it's not like I just rush to do my day. Like it makes me stop and think about like something that I love about them or something that 
that brought joy to me. So it's kind of a connection and it's really, it's really good for kind of homeostasis in the household. Mm -hmm. The the next part of that is, is I'll read and I'll read for probably 20 to 30 minutes. Um, uh, Nonfiction, fiction, doesn't matter. Uh, No news, right. But just kind of anything that's, you know, mind enriching. And then at that point, I'm probably at 5 a.m. And that's when I start my workout and I'll do an hour workout. And, you know, some people like to work out in the afternoon. So then maybe they don't have to get up as early, but I like to work out early in the morning as well. Mm-hmm. And so the trick is, is I do all of that before I look at my phone. And mm-hmm. that, that, is, that is the magic, is that I don't look on social and I don't check emails until I do that whole sequence. And um, that is really what, what the magic is behind it. Because before, you know, it's, I wake up, I, I look at my phone, I get an email, and then I'm like, I'm like seething with anger because something didn't go my way. And then the, my whole intention and purpose is, is gone. Yeah, that, that's absolutely incredible in terms of discipline. <laughs> so I'm glad we talked about waiting into discipline first before we got the full morning routine. Um, I've got a friend that gets up and does an ice bath at 4.30, and I think yours is, it sounds even tighter than that. <laughs> so help, for, for anyone in the audience who is just kind of starting on, on this sort of journey and maybe reeling a bit from like, I can never get to the David Paul standard because that is absolutely incredible. How do you, how do you start this in pieces? If a morning routine is something somebody wants to try like 3:45 AM, like you, you, yeah, you yeah, partially yeah, locked me there. So the thing is, is you want to do it before other people are up because, and this is just speaking from the masculine perspective, right? I need to be away from things, needing things. From me. Like I need to be able to take care of myself and, you know, you know, you know, and I'm sure females feel that the same, but for me, like specifically, like everyone wants something for me all the time. So like, I, I need, this is my container that I want mm-hmm. to, to work on myself. So I think getting up and being in, in a place where you can just have some tranquility, doing, you know, a couple minutes of breathing, you know, reading your book and then, um, you know, uh, writing in your journal and then maybe doing, you know, 10 pushups, right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like that's it. I mean, it's just move really. I mean, honestly, that's not, it's not, you don't have to do a full, you know, hour workout. Um, that's just when I like to do it. So, but as long as you're just kind of hitting all the senses, you know, journaling, I really like journaling because it kind of takes any residual negative thoughts or kind of ruminations that might be happening in your brain. Mm-hmm. And it allows you to kind of finish your thought on paper. Because what happens is, is when I get a thought, it goes to a certain level of track and then it repeats itself. Mm-hmm. And what happens is when I journal, I get to the end and then I kind of come to a conclusion, right? Mm-hmm. The Stoics used to say that the journals are the paintbrush to the soul. And, you know, and I really believe that. So I'm able to complete the thought when I'm actually journaling what's in my head. And that usually kind of gets it out. That makes a lot of sense. So the beginner's morning routine, get up before everybody else so that you're not being bombarded. Stay away from your phone. Sounded like a big piece of it because that's another way to get bombarded. So you're carving out some time for yourself before you know there's going to be demands. Some type of movement, physical movement, some type of mental exercise, journaling, getting things out, meditation, following breaths, whatever it is. What's a good place to start? 15 minutes? What, of whatever. Of, of whatever, in total. Like if you're going yeah, to start. Yeah. yeah, I think that's great. You know, do that. Maybe read, uh, you, know, uh, you know, some, you know, like, like two pages from a book, you know. You yeah. Know, and, really simple it doesn't have to be this giant great american novel you don't need to be taking notes you know like it's just it's just something that you can express yourself and 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 just have some kind of creative expression before 
the weight of the world is just pressing on you and it's your time and it's your sacred time. And I just think that for me, what it does is it gives me a, um, uh, kind of like the suit of armor that I can put mm-hmm. on throughout the day that like things just don't bother me as much because I'm just more defensive. Right. So, so the, the backside of that, I got to ask what time do you go to bed in order to get up? At that uh, time? Well, dude, I, I get mine, man. I get, I'm going to bed at like the second my daughter goes to bed, I get so yeah. it's like 38 o'clock. So I'm getting okay. my full eight or nine hours. You know, I just, I, I, you know, I just go to bed super early. Yeah. You're just sliding the scale forward so that it starts right. early. Yeah, there's no, there's no sleep shortage. I think sleep is extremely important. Yeah. And, and someone mentioned um, in one of our events a couple of weeks ago, you know, this, this tension between um, like hustle culture and morning routines, right? Like, you know, can we all line up in a row and see who has the toughest, most aggressive, craziest morning routine, right? Or, you know, are we actually putting self-care behind that? Or are we just trying to impress each other with how much stuff we're doing? And I think what you just said there is incredible, right? Like, you don't get up at 3.45 a.m. because you go to bed at midnight and you're just tougher than everybody else. Right. <laughs> you yeah. get up at 3.45 yeah. in the morning because you go to bed early enough in a disciplined way so you can get up and start your day then. Yeah. And, that's and, and very different. I, wanna, I don't want my, inter- my, my workout interrupted. You know what I mean? Like, so that's like, and I don't want to have to stop doing something because of this, that, and the other. And like, I want to start earlier. So yeah, it has nothing to do with bravado at all. Um, Love that. Yeah. Like it, it just has to do with just kind of what works with my family and, and, you know, now is that going to change? Maybe because, you know, as kids get older, I think you have to stay up longer. I don't know if she's going to have a seven thirty bedtime when she's, you know, 10. <laughs> I'm going to try. <laughs> I love it. All right. I want to move us to purpose statements. So this, this concept, I know it's important to you. So we had, um, we had our first event in our, what we call our connection series last week, where community members come together on a certain topic in the founders first community. We talk live in a format like this, but we kind of go around, round Robin and, and people share. Um, and we talked a lot about purpose statements and mantras. And our research shows that these are critical tools to helping founders stay on track. Founders are using this saying, incredible benefits that they get um, in the midst of our sometimes crippling schedules. So can you talk a little bit about the benefits of a purpose statement, what value they provide, how we can use them ourselves to stay at high performance? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the purpose statement next to the power hour was like the, like the cornerstones of wellness and foundations of balance and stability in my life. And, and the reason what I did was, is it pulled me out of that, that spot of, my failure if I continue to do this not doing that and I mean the bottom line is and kind of going all over the place but I'm sure everybody can relate to this but in my life I found that I've been happy rich I've been happy or I've not been, I've been happy poor I've been happy in a certain job and I've been unhappy in a certain job so needless to say in context people should understand that the things that are happening in your life really don't bring happiness right but Ultimately, it does, right? Like we honestly, we're always seeking stimuli, despite knowing that, in, regardless of situations, our perspective changes all the time, and it's not really about the stimuli, but we always chase it, right? So we still can't learn that fact, me, me, me included, right? So what the purpose statement did for me was how is it made me focus on key areas of my life that give me emotional juice, right? Mm-hmm. And those three areas of my life were learning, growing, and being impactful. You know, as long as I was learning, growing, and being impactful, no matter what job I had, I uh, I loved it. 
right? And that was including when I was a scuba diving instructor, right? All the way from when I was, you know, a counselor, when I was a CEO, when I was a venture capitalist. And that's the thing. It's like, but you, like, as a CEO, like, you can often not learn, grow, and be impactful. You can just be monotonous and put yourself in a corner of just doing stuff that doesn't scratch those itches, right? So my, my, my theory of that was, is when I created my purpose statement is that what I, my, the great epiphany is that it didn't matter what I did, right? It really didn't. I, it could be a CEO. I could be making this amount of money versus that amount of money. I could work on this project versus that project, serving these customers versus these customers. It didn't matter as long as I was learning, growing, and being impactful. And that was a huge weight off my soul because that means that, you know, I didn't have to have a specific thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I could, I could tailor my life to just those drivers, I call them power words or drivers, right? That I, that really give me ultimate purpose. So, um, like that's my North star metric is how much I'm living in my purpose. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and you can look at that, not just for business, but with, 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 uh, your home life, you know, is, is my home life in my, in my routines or the tasks that I'm doing? Am I learning, growing and being impactful with my wife? Am I learning, growing, and being impactful with my daughter? Mm-hmm. You know, and if not, you know, chances are you're unhappy. So what can you do to learn, grow, and be impactful with your daughter? Like, what can you do? Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that is what fuels me. So purpose statements are huge. I've got mine memorized. I, I like, you know, I, I highly encourage everyone to do it. And it's uh, actually, I, I have a, I have a handout. If you want to drop it in the, I can email it to you if you want to take a look yeah, at we'll it. Yeah, we'll drop it in the community. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a great, it's a great way to kind of, build out your purpose statement. Yeah, that's, that's perfect. Someone uh, actually emailed me who's writing a book this morning about this concept for entrepreneurs of life profitability versus business profitability. Um, and I first thought it was impressive that he even mentioned the word profitability because most entrepreneurs I know are just focused on revenue alone and, and forget about that part. But he had both transcended that side of it of profitability in the business and then also profitability in life. And that reminds me kind of what you're talking about here, right? So you've created your own definition of what, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm putting this word on it, but is that kind of how you think about it? Like yeah. life profit, yeah. the point of where yeah. you're trying yeah. to That's a great way to look at it. Like what am I yielding for my actions? And yeah. I, that's a great way to think about it. I never even thought about it that way. Yeah, and so you've now, through that purpose statement, created a, a ruler that you can measure. Am I doing it today? Have I been doing it the last six months? And how do I want to, improve or change where I am in the next six months going forward. So you can see if you're doing what you want to do. Yeah. And then at the end of the day, and here's the thing, and I was just thinking this, at the end of the day, if I'm living within my purpose and I'm serving those people and I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, do I care about that arbitrary person that is judging me, right? That I think is judging me or this phantom. And the question is like, when I think about it, I'm like, no, <laughs> right. Because I love what I'm doing. I don't care, you know, but it's, it's when I'm trying to do something that, like, I don't really feel my purpose in it, right? Like, yet mm-hmm. that, and I'm just trying to force my will into it, that it seems that if I fail, then I'm, I'm failing, you know, some, you know, like my dad or something, right? Like, you know, or like your family, you know, yeah. some, some archetype, right? That's looking down on you. Yeah. All right. To our guests, if you've got a question you'd like to ask David, and you can tell this is a great time to ask a question. Um, look at that. First question's already in. <laughs> this is a good time to drop a question in. Uh, drop it in the chat. I'll pick them up in a minute. I'm going to ask David one more question, and then it's it's up to all of you. So drop it in chat. I'll ask the question to David, and we'll talk about it. And um, just such a cool opportunity to pick somebody's brain who thinks in this way, David. This is incredible with this amount of 
you know, we called it discipline earlier, but I think it's also intentionality, right? Knowing, knowing what you're steering towards. Um, you've had your own experience as a very successful founder and then as a venture capitalist and now as a coach. So you've experienced your own journey as well as that of many other founders that you've seen as well. I think that's what's so interesting about your perspective. It's both kind of in the trenches as an entrepreneur and then working alongside all of those entrepreneurs in so many different industries. If you had to boil everything you've learned down to say like three pieces of advice, what would you tell entrepreneurs to help them avoid the struggles that so many of us are facing? Yeah. So in, in the context of, in the context of this, which is self-care, you know, let's live to do more purpose-driven work. Let's get out of the monotony and let's take care of ourselves. The three pieces of advice that I would say are get a morning routine, right? And the second one is um, something that the Stoics philosophers called memento mori, which is Latin for uh, to reflect upon death, right? And it sounds morbid, but it, it basically, it says, reflect upon what your life would look like if you died today, right? Mm-hmm. Or if you died next week, how would you want to live your life? How would you want to continue to do that? And the idea of that is the more that you think about and contemplate your own death and what that would look like, the more appreciation and and impact you're going to want to put into your life. You know, so I often always think about that and like, not in like, like, like an unhealthy way, but I'll be like pushing my daughter on the swing. I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore. (laughs) You know what I mean? But I'm like, wait a minute. What if I was to die next week? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? What if I was to actually get in a car accident and my daughter's, you know, like, would I want my last image of her with me to me be doing like look at my phone while I'm pushing her on a swing or would I be smelling her hair and like tickling her feet and doing something extra to just get a little bit more light in her life. Mm-hmm. And uh, that is a huge, um, a huge benefit for me. So yeah, that the morning routine. And the third one is um, I think the third one is really just kind of really be conscious about kind of what you put in your body and food, because I think that that, <laughs> Uh, there's, that's really something that a lot of people are overlooking is, mm-hmm. is food and, and, and not, and, you know, it's in the entrepreneurial world because it's just like, okay, well, let's just eat something really quick and go. And I think that that's poisoning a lot of, you know, potential, potential brain cells that you could be using towards growing your, growing yourself physically and growing your company more. Yeah. Yeah. Completely, completely agree on the last one. I, I also think the, um, we, we had this really interesting exercise a couple of months ago. I think it was back in one of our sessions in May where, my friend Keith Roberts brought in this this exercise, which I still have. I still have what I've written down somewhere in my office here. Um, of it was called the the four sevens, and it was very similar to what your kind of the framework you were talking about um, about you know thinking about what if my life ended so we could be more appreciative. And his was something like write down everything you would do if you had seven months left to live. And then the second step was write down everything you'd do if you had seven weeks left to live. And then it was seven days for the next one. And then it was seven hours and it was a really, really neat. Distinctly different. Yeah. As you start to narrow it down. Really good one. God, and like, it was, yeah. <laughs> like, right. yeah. It's, yeah. It was so incredible. Like I still get goosebumps thinking about it. And I did in the moment we were all in tears and because, you know, I think when I got to the seven hour one, it was like, I guess I would just go around and hug everybody and tell them I love them. Right? What are you gonna yeah. do in seven hours? Like you're not gonna get your taxes done or this Zoom call right now. <laughs> yeah, like you, exactly. <laughs> what are you gonna do? You can only do the things that really matter the most. And and I actually, it took about a month for me to be brave enough to share that list with my wife. 
both because one, it was pretty emotional. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know if she wants it today. Um, but eventually I, I shared it and uh, it was, it was interesting for us to both look at that together, right? Like what, what are the things that, that really matter? And when, when look through that lens and, and, and the way you've thought about, it, right. Like, you know, in this moment, is there something more I could be getting out of this? If, mm-hmm. if I was fully grateful for what I'm really experiencing. Right yeah. Now? Yeah. Um, I know that, that this is, this is going to happen. All right, so let's jump into questions. First one's from uh, Dan. So as someone who's very intentional about morning routines and near-term goals and about to be faced with a rapidly growing family, do you do a longer-term vision to chart the course for the situation you want to see you and your family in in a number of years? I don't. You know what I mean? And and honestly, the reason, like I have, I have a vision for what I want our family to look like. And, you know, what our values should be and kind of what the foundation is. But mm-hmm. like, I don't have like, we're going to live like in this big house on the ocean, you know, in Malibu. And, you know, like, you know, we're going to be, you know, they're going to be going to the best schools and this, that. And because I feel like anything, <laughs> this goes up with financial forecasting too with venture back companies is that you really can't just know anything after a year, right? <laughs> like, you know, so it's kind of like, I, I try to keep my, my, and this goes a lot against what like a lot of like mindfulness people talk about, like have a definite chief aim and how much money you want to have and you can have it by and all this stuff. And mm-hmm. I think that that's good as long as you make it short because, you know, the, the guru himself, Tony Robbins, he says that the road to success is under construction. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of turns that you're not going to forecast. And the problem is if you go too in depth in planning and too detailed in planning, then um, you might feel like a failure, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and you might feel like, oh, well, I'm, I'm off track. And, you know, so you want, you want to like have actionable results, but you don't want to like make it so monotonous that you look like a failure. Like all of a sudden, oh my God, like, yeah, I'm doing this. And my, my goal is to make a, a billion dollar coaching business. But then someone offers me a position to be a CEO of a company that's doing this amazing stuff and it's in New York. Well, you know, I'm, I'm not a failure for doing that. I'm just changing my correction, my course so it all comes down to the, the purpose statement. It's like, you know, where where is my purpose best? I love that. And it's it's there's something kind of natural and organic about that, that kind of like, you know, the purpose of where you want to go kind of at the next step level. If you see an opportunity, you can run it through the lens of whether it's the right opportunity or not. But you're not going to beat yourself up on did it meet the next 20 steps you projected into it, right. what yeah. it might have been. You'll just reevaluate when you get there. Absolutely. All right. So next question is from your friend, Ian. So uh, Ian, what's that? You're not friends with him? Uh, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> Our friend, Ian. Here we go. <laughs> we love you, Ian. Self-awareness, self-observation, self-care all begin with a conscious choice. They also all begin with the word self, Ian. Um, how do you help people understand that only they can make the choice? So it, it, it comes through conversation. Right. And it comes through and that's kind of like where the coaching you know, style of conversation goes. Um, you know, there's a there's a, a, a equation that um, uh, Timothy Galloway has. And he wrote this book called The Inner Game of Tennis. And a lot of people use it as like the biggest coaching framework because it talks about, you know, the two self, the self that's executing and the self that's judging the execution. Mm. There's an equation that he puts in it called the inner game equation, which is. Performance equals um, potential minus interference, right? So 
what my goal is as a coach, especially in the first you know couple of sessions, is to really identify the interferences that are there, and then just knock them down, and just say, okay, well you know that's bullshit. Like, you know, like not, you know, it's not a real thing. And like, what happens if that didn't happen? And, you know, we kind of go through this and I kind of just like take the, these blinders off, you know what I mean? And then like give them permission to say like that the way they look at things is not as and under no fault of their own. They're just in this life of being a drone and just like, kind of like going through life is like with no intentionality and just kind of just getting sucked around, but breaking off those blinders saying that like, you don't have to do it this way you know, and get them to kind of acknowledge that, Hey, yeah, there's a possibility that I don't have to do this this way. And then, and then when they kind of have that choice and they start reverting back to the behavior, because everyone always does, you kind of say, okay, well, you realize that that was the choice that you made, (laughs) right. To bring you back there. And that's kind of where that quote came in. Um, that it's like, you know, once you know, (laughs) once you know your interferences, you're responsible for your own outcomes and you can no longer claim the victim. Mm-hmm. It's life's not a dress rehearsal, man. You know, this is your life. And, you know, if you want to spend, you're going to get hit by, you know, a truck in the next seven weeks. Do you want to live the life you're currently living? Mm-hmm. I felt that so much personally. I'm sure other people can relate the, the, the visionary, the kind of optimist, the dreamer being one side of that equation, right? And then the other side being the, the self-judgment of that. I think a lot of entrepreneurs also experience that in these kind of like, manic and depressive cycles where there's manic excitement builds and then we're the dreamer and we're the creative person and we build all these plans. And then maybe the first roadblock we run into, we start to flip into the down cycle, the downswing of that, right? The, the depression, the self-doubting, the judging side becomes stronger because when, when we're at our most brilliant and we create, you know, the judge, the critic is, is kind of on the side, right? And, and then that voice flares back up again and it could drive our mood back down. That's the, I think, a huge driver of what we call the, the entrepreneurial roller coaster, the emotional roller coaster of being an entrepreneur. Well, David, thank you once again for your time. Yeah, thank you. This is great. Yeah, we are so grateful for your insight and excited that you're a member of the Founders First community. So if anyone has follow up questions for David, you can find him in the Founders First community and at extremeaccountabilitycoach.com. And I completely agree with that domain name because so many things that you've shared with us today are what I would consider extreme tips and so grateful for your time. So thanks so much, everybody. Thanks, Dave. All right, bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us at Founders First. This conversation continues in the Founders First community. Search Founders First Community in the App Store on your phone to learn how to prioritize your health and wellness to become more successful. Get your questions answered by top entrepreneurs and receive notifications about upcoming shows. Until next time, stay healthy, be at your best, go change the world.